Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, it's great to have you along. So uh, this is episode number, let's see, 30, 31, 32, episode number 32. Uh, Last couple weeks were a lot of fun. Last week, we talked to Dr. James Danaher. Uh, Dr. James was a professor of mine at Nyack College. He was my intro to philosophy professor as a freshman, uh, 8 o'clock in the mornings, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays in Simpson Hall. And uh, what a time it was with Dr. Danaher. We talked about his newest book. Uh, It's all about prayer, about truth, about the spiritual journey, about identity, all different kinds of things. Uh, Go check out the episode. Go pick up the book. And a week before that, we talked to the one and only Pete Enns. Pete Enns came on the podcast and talked to us about how the Bible actually works, which is the title of his newest book. Um, Also, go pick up that book and check out that episode as well, if you haven't already. Uh, But this is episode number 32, and we're jumping into something new this week for the season of Lent. Uh, But before we go there, I need to remind you, or maybe even fill you in, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, did you know, did you know? The What If Project podcast is on Patreon. Yes, it's on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash whatifproject, and there you are able to give or support financially the podcast. So you can give anywhere from $3 a month up to $30 a month, or if you want to go higher, you can go even higher than that. Uh, But whatever money you are able to give, want to give, whatever, goes towards what I say is keeping the lights on here at the What If Project, because shocker, it actually costs money to host the podcast. It actually costs money to host the website. It actually costs money to do some cool graphic things that I like to do. It also costs money to maybe get a new microphone down the road, because the one that I'm using moves around a lot, and I don't think that really helps the volume control. So anyway, whatever money you give is going in a a pot of sorts, in a bucket, and uh, that money will be used uh, to pay for things here. Uh, that's the first goal. So once we hit that goal, other things will happen with money. But for now, that is where the money is going. So there are six people who are uh, patrons. And I want to give you all um, a shout out. I love you. Thank you. Uh, each one of you, amazing, amazing people, uh, they reach out to me on the side. Uh, in messages on Facebook, text messages, emails. They give me their encouragement, their support, remind me that, that what I'm doing is important. And that's that's crucial, absolutely crucial, uh, because honestly, sometimes this is hard work. Sometimes people write things in messages and on Facebook and in emails and uh, things like that that aren't really very nice. I don't know who in the world would ever do that, right? But not very nice. And uh, sometimes it it gets a little bit difficult to kind of just press in and and move on and kind of keep doing what you do. So every time I get a message from one of these people and they're like, hey, what you're doing is important. Keep going. Press on. Uh, I really appreciate what you do. Uh, thanks for being a voice. Uh, thanks for giving me a safe place to explore, to think. Uh, those things mean the world to me, um, combined with the fact that they would give a little bit of their money um, to help this thing move forward. Ah, it just means like an immense amount to me. So thank you uh, to my patrons. Uh, If you haven't signed up yet, even if you don't want to sign up, just want to see what it's about, head over to patreon.com slash what's if 
project. This, though, episode number 32, uh, this is week one of a series for Lent, and I'm calling this series God's Not Mad. God's Not Mad, week one. And the title of this episode is a little long, okay? Brace yourself. Here it is. If the good news is that Jesus died so that by believing in him, I can go to heaven, while those who don't believe in him burn in hell for all of eternity, I don't believe it. If that's the good news, I do not believe it. So for Lent, (laughs) here we go, for Lent, uh, I am rereading Brian Zahn's book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, and I'm going to be talking here on the blog and podcast about this idea that God is not mad, okay? He's not mad. He never was mad. He never will be mad. He's not mad at you. I'm not mad at him, not mad at her. He's not mad at anyone, anywhere, ever. And I'll be talking about a different idea from this book every week, and kind of like the spider web of thoughts and ideas that it's been creating in my own heart, my own mind, my own soul, and my own life. And about halfway through Lent on April 1st, I'm going to release a podcast episode that I recorded a few weeks ago where I got to sit down and actually chat with Brian uh, to pick his brain about the book and uh, things like the cross, why Jesus died, hell, and lots of other interesting things. In that episode, I purposely basically just asked a couple questions and just let the man talk because I knew that like these are his most passionate touch points in a conversation, and he gets really excited about this stuff. So I was like, uh, tell me about hell. He just went off for a while, and I'm like, I'm not going to say nothing, just going to let the guy talk. So he shared some solid, solid stuff, and uh, I'm excited to share that with you. So get ready. But for today, though, uh, here's the deal. I'm going to start off. I want to say this bluntly. I want to say this as bluntly as I can. So uh, if you're not sitting down, maybe you want to sit down. Okay, wait, wait a minute. Okay, before I say anything, okay, let me back up. Beep, 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 back up. Okay, before I say anything, uh, let me say this. Uh, I grew up believing like a thousand percent that God created a uh, perfect world. It was tainted horribly by Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, Their sin then infected all of humanity. And that sin makes us so like unpalatable to God that he can't even stand to look at us, be in our presence, anything, because God is so perfect, so holy, and we're so unperfect or imperfect and unholy, our sin demands punishment. Sin needs to be punished. God, though, right, Uh, he loved me so much that rather than inflict his wrath on me, he sent his son Jesus to die in my place, to be mocked, taunted, flogged, beaten, brutally murdered, so that I wouldn't have to endure any of those kinds of things. Uh, all of my sins, all of my wrongdoings were put onto Jesus' shoulders and nailed to the cross so that if I would believe in him and ask him into my heart and say the sinner's prayer, then and only then would God shower me with his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, and bring me to heaven when I die, instead of sending me off to be tortured in the fires of hell for all of eternity. This, I was taught, and I used to teach, is the good news. That Jesus died for my sins, he took my punishment, he was punished and beaten and tortured, that God 
uh, that he absorbed God's wrath so that I wouldn't have to endure even an ounce of it. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned. I inherited their sin. God is ticked. Somebody's got to pay. Jesus did. I believe that and escape wrath. I don't believe it and I get an eternity of immeasurable pain. In his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards, all the way back in the 1700s when people were good and crazy, (laughs) put it like this. He said, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of pure eyes that's to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable, abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. Again, God is mad. But if you believe in Jesus... That same angry God who dangles people over the fire like spiders can somehow stomach you and will gladly let you in to heaven. Up until about five years ago, man, I held on like super tightly to that belief, like 1,000%, not a doubt in my mind. Uh, Now, five years later, I don't really believe anything like that. Uh, Not really anything even close to it. Uh, In fact, I would say that that's such an explanation of the good news, which, by the way, in the world of theology is called the penal substitutionary atonement theory. And I emphasize the word theory because that's all that it is. I think that's not only wrong and misguided, but severely destructive to a person's understanding of God. To be even more blunt, I mean, I'm on a roll, so let's keep going. I I don't think Jesus died to save me from hell. I don't even think there is a hell in the sense that the church, that a church person might typically describe it with fire and devils and torture and things like that. And, And I don't think that Jesus died to save me from God's wrath. I don't believe that he blocked me from God's anger. I don't think that I need to believe a certain way so that I can spend eternity in a certain place. I don't believe that that God is mad. I don't think that Jesus died to save me from his angry dad. I don't believe that God is full of wrath, you know, holding it back to the last possible moment when he's going to destroy the earth and make something new. I don't believe that God is angry. He's not mad. He's not demanding a blood sacrifice to cover the sins of humanity so that his anger can be appeased. I don't believe any of that stuff. Now, I should probably say uh, that this is not like a snap decision that I woke up one day and made. I think that's like probably one of the things that really annoys me the most in this season of my life. Uh, I've had some discussions with people about this stuff, as well as like in-depth discussions about the topic of hell, Uh, LGBTQ inclusion, all those things on Facebook over the last few months. And one of the things that like that really, really just gets me is when people who I rarely talk to, like I hardly ever talk to ever, fires off a message on Facebook, calling me like a heretic or, you know, someone who's smoothing over the gospel to make it more palatable for people, someone who doesn't do any research or really knows anything about the Bible. I mean, like, hold up. Okay, 
not to toot my own horn, but I've been studying the Bible on a fairly serious level since I was 13 years old. Okay? 13 years old. I'm 37 now. Okay? I don't know what the math is, but that's over 20 years I've been reading my Bible, uh, reading all different kinds of books about the Bible, and about topics like hell, LGBTQ, the atonement, theology, doctrine, all these different things from all various points of view. I have on my desk uh, my Precious Moments New King James Bible that I was highlighting in with a yellow highlighter when I was 13 years old and making small notes in the margins. 13 years old in my Precious Moments New King James Bible. Uh, My mom used to buy me Bibles, books about the Bible. She would take me to the local Christian bookstore once or twice a month to get new books. And she did nothing but help feed my growing love and passion for this very beautiful book that has pretty much become uh, my life's work. I received a bachelor's degree from a Bible college, a master's of divinity degree from seminary, and in a few months, uh, I'm going to be receiving my doctorate degree from seminary. I've studied under professors who I agree with, professors I don't agree with, professors who have challenged me, made me angry, pushed me to think deeper about issues and beliefs that I, quite frankly, really didn't want to think deeper about. I've studied this stuff for school assignments. I've studied this stuff for my own, for quizzes, exams, papers, research, blog posts, sermons. I've had countless phone calls, uh, conversations, and I've asked tons of questions to people who are much further down the road in understanding these things than I am. So yeah, I get like really ticked when people dismiss all of that and act as if I'm just making snap decisions, jumping on Facebook, posting thoughtless stuff uh, on the What If Project, on social media and all these places. So if you come at me with that kind of mentality, I will most likely jump down your throat, okay? Anyway, now that I got that out of my way, all I had to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus has taken away the sins of the world. I love Jesus more than ever. But no, 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 no. I don't believe all of that other stuff I mentioned before about God being angry, about God tossing people into hell like spiders or pieces of trash. And I don't think that makes me any less of a Jesus follower than someone who more or less believes all of those things. Uh, In his book, Brian Zahn shares how the good news is perhaps maybe better understood from an excerpt in the book of Jeremiah, uh, where the prophet shows God saying this. He says, Oh, Ephraim is my dear, dear son, my child in whom I take pleasure Every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing for him. Everything in me cries out for him softly and tenderly. I wait for him. So here we get a glimpse of God's heart for someone called Ephraim. Uh, Scholars say that Ephraim was actually a name for the nation of Israel approximately 700 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, which was a time in Israel's history when the nation was in the worst possible spiritual condition. Like she was idolatrous, adulterous, backslidden, covenant-breaking, downright evil. And yet, even so, God is not dangling Ephraim over the fires of hell. 
like one might dangle a spider, but is instead filled with an unfathomable amount of unconditional love for his prodigal nation, right? He doesn't throw the nation away, doesn't turn his back, doesn't toss it into the flames and declare that there's no hope. No, rather he softly, tenderly, patiently awaits for his prodigal to recognize what has always been and always will be there. His never-ending, never-shrinking, never-disappearing eternal love. Guys, that is good news, right? That is good news. And it's not just good news for people who happen to believe the right stuff about Jesus. The people who have accepted him into their hearts or have said a sinner's prayer or have a better understanding of various theologies and doctrines than others. No, it's good news for everyone everywhere. It means that no matter how far we stray, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how much of a mess we make of things, no matter where our lives might lead us, God, the divine, the creator is always there, right by our side, looking at us with the same love and adoration that he had for wayward Ephraim. And I'm confident, and I am confident in saying this, saying that this is the good news, that this is the heart of God, because this right here is what we see in the life of Jesus, right? For the last year, I've been really intentional with reading very little in my Bible outside of the four Gospels, all of which tell the story of Jesus's life. And I've done this because I wanted to put forth like an intentional effort to have a a better understanding of who Jesus was, uh, what he did, and how he lived, so that I can do a, a better job of following in his footsteps today in 2019. Here's a quote from Zahn's book. He says, If the mystery of God is a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, the picture on the cover of the box is the face of Jesus. Jesus is the face of God, the icon of God, the word of God, the divine logos made flesh. This is the recurring theme among the New Testament writers. What the Bible does infallibly do is point us to Jesus. The Bible itself is not the perfect picture of God, but it does point us to the one who is. It's good, right? The message that Jesus came to bring is that everybody is welcome and everybody has a place. If you read the Gospels, you can't miss it. He intentionally went to the people on the outside and brought them inside. He went to the places where the religious leaders wouldn't go to get the people they wouldn't touch. He healed the sick. He freed the demonized. He cared for the poor, the weak, the widows. He refused to obey Moses' command to stone sinners. And he flat out refused to follow in the footsteps of Elijah, who called down fire from heaven on the supposed enemies of God. For Jesus, no one was too far gone. No one was too off track or too lost that they couldn't be found and brought near. Guys, Jesus is the face of God. And the last thing I see Jesus doing is calling his disciples to himself before going to heaven And saying, hey guys, look over here. I lived my life here on earth, but now it's over. And now the ball's in your court. So so go create a new empire and let's call it, let's call it Christianity. (laughs) And get as many people as you can to believe that I died for their sins. Yeah, evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. It's all about me. Because when they get to the pearly gates, 
if I find that they don't believe in me and my work for them on the cross, and, and, and if they didn't ask me into their heart and they didn't say the sinner's prayer, well, I'm going to have no choice but to give them over to my father's wrath. You know, my father, I don't know, you know, he's going to throw them into hell. They're going to be tortured there forever. Uh, so follow my command to love your enemies, but know this, I'm going to th- be throwing my enemies into the fires of hell, right? Like on the list of things that Jesus never said, I'm pretty sure that's at the top. Like that's not in the Bible. Jesus is the face of God. And when I look at Jesus, I don't see an angry guy waiting to chuck people into hell for believing the wrong things. But I see a loving, caring, patient, divine being a shepherd, a father, a lover, who never, ever gave up on anyone. That's Jesus. That's God. And that is good news. Thanks for dropping by, and I will see you next week for part two. Bye-bye.